2: Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Leaf. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Jeff Mills, Dan Nathan will join us in just moments. Tonight on Fast, we are tracking the after-hours action shares of Salesforce. That stock on the move right now on earnings. The company's call is just kicking off or breaking down the quarter straight ahead. Plus, we're watching the White House. President Biden wrapping up a meeting right now with the nation's top CEOs about cybersecurity. We'll bring you any big headlines that come our way. And later, Tim is taking the mound to throw out his best idea why he thinks this tech stock is a total home run investment but we start off tonight with a big breakout for the banks financials leading the s&p 500 on a record day for the index jp morgan wells fargo bank of america goldman sachs and morgan stanley all posting gains and this move comes as a benchmark 10-year treasury yield continues to climb higher it is now at 1.34 percent let's trade this guy what'd you make of this big move
3: well, we had a few people on over the last couple of weeks. I know Tim has been loving this. Jeff Mills, when I hear from him as well, banks are still in play and banks are going higher. You know, Dan pointed this out a couple of weeks ago. When rates were going lower, the banks stopped going lower. And that was your tell. And they've been off to the races ever since. I'll say it again. To me, Citi is the most compelling trade here. I think it trades north of Tangible book was about $78. bucks. we have been, as a show, collectively all over Blackstone. Oh, by the way, they made another acquisition they said they want to make inroads into India. That stock can continue to go higher. And if you think, as I do, that rates will continue to go up, the insurers look really interesting, specifically Prue and MetLife, Mel.
2: Guy, sorry to interrupt. Um, we want to go to the White House. We told you about that big cyber summit that President Biden is holding. Uh, CEO of JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, is leaving just now. Let's listen in. Uh, So basically, what we're witnessing are uh, the CEOs uh, at the summit leaving the White House right now. We are watching for them. And of course, we've got our crew uh, standing at the ready to try and get comments from them on what exactly transpired. Again, this was a cybersecurity summit held. By the White House, Uh, Jamie Dimon has just left the building along with many others. If we have any headlines, we'll bring them to you. In the meantime, let's continue trading the banks here. Um, Tim, what did you make of this move?
4: Well, again, you know, talk about J.P. Morgan. It you know, might to me that or Bank of America. I think are the best charts in there, and you're, you know, you're within five percent of, of all time highs. Yet again, coming out of second quarter numbers, and remember, the banks traded down the first three or four days as they do. Sorry, to uh, this we is to the thing that we seen. Satya probably, Nadella,
2: at the CEO of Microsoft, I believe. Um, we're gonna listen in. Can go right- to come out. I feel like it's a zoom call like we, we decide to go there and then they hop in a car and they drive away. <laughs> yeah. We'll continue looking for a lot of the other CEOs that are going to come out of this summit. Um, Tim, I think I interrupted you. Apologies.
4: That is OK, Mel. We're a live <laughs> news show in financial markets. This happens. And you know if you think about banks, what happened to them coming out of second quarter earnings is they traded down because they were overly punished for two things. Uh, net interest. You know, int- net interest income uh, and net interest margins that were down. So we're talking about the sensitivity to the 10-year and why the banks are moving. The other thing that's almost ironic is as they started to release uh, credit reserves, they they were almost punished for this increase in their earnings, where on the way down, when they had to apply these these lost provisions, uh, they were punished as well. I, this makes no sense to me. I recognize you can't count on those earnings, and some people beat based upon that. Um, they should not be punished. And, and I think you have a case here where also so the story for banks over the last year, uh, maybe even four years, has been about uh, capital markets dynamics, uh, return, to d- return of capital to shareholders, buybacks, dividends, and that's a story that's quietly very solid here too. So, it, it, you know, to me, the, the valuations uh, for these companies are very interesting. They're never, uh, you know, they haven't been this strong on balance sheet in a long time, and the yield curve may be in their favor for the short term. But in the long term, um, I think you have a very solid trade here, and I don't think you need to trade in and out of these names. I've, been, I've had a cold core position of J.P. Morgan, Citibank, and maybe best of breed is Morgan Stanley, which to me has smoothed out their earnings profile with all this wealth management and asset management business and where they've taken their business.
2: You know, it's funny when Tim said the story of the banks for the past year has been, if you had gone to me and said, what do you think <laughs> Tim was going to say? I, Melissa, would have <laughs> said rates because the move in the 10-year yield today, Jeff Mills, really caught a lot of people's attention. And Carter Braxenworth who of course lives in the pantheon of technical analysts, um, had a note out today about the 10-year bond yields breaching the upper band of the well-defined downtrend channel that's been in effect since April. He says we suspect 145 is in the cards, which would be good, a good thing for financials.
5: Yeah, I think it certainly would, and I read that same note, Melissa, and I, I did find it interesting. He also mentioned a mirror chart on the tenure as well. So if it completes that short-term mirror, uh, it would it would get to 145 pretty quickly here in the near term. I would have actually expected the move today in banks to be a little bit bigger than it was, uh, given the move we saw in rates. But nonetheless, I view it as a positive. And to underscore Guy's point, you know, banks have actually been the fourth best performing sector since the peak in rates. So unusual and I think it underscores the idea that there's some value there and I talk a lot about positioning especially when it gets extreme so we saw extreme positioning in April everyone crowded into that reopening trade the cyclicals the banks everyone was betting on higher rates what we have now is the exact opposite if you look at financials energy materials go down the list you see three month flows now in the fifth percentile. So it's been very weak. Everyone's abandoned that trade. They've hunkered down into this COVID delta growth scare. Uh, And I think that's now starting to unwind. You're seeing it in the 10 year. You're seeing momentum in financials. If you look at the 20 day new high list, can be a little bit early, but it's starting to expand a lot. So I think you're seeing momentum there and you continue to ride this trade.
2: So is this just part of a broader rotation guy in your view? I mean, for, for the folks that are saying, Go into oil stocks at this point after the drubbing they have seen. Is it also time to go into financials for the same reasons?
3: I think you, I believe you can absolutely still be or get into financials if you haven't been into them. I think the oil trade, Tim would probably agree. I think it's a trade at this point. I think it bottomed out probably three or four trading days ago. Now the equities seem to be leading the commodity, but the banks are a real story and the story in the banks are not going away anytime soon, in my opinion. You know, I think you have six to nine months of sort of tailwinds for these names. Now, they will get expensive in terms of price to tangible book, but they're not there yet. And there are certain banks, as we pointed out, that seem impervious to anything in terms of yields. I know Blackstone isn't a bank. When Dan finally gets here in his technology purgatory, he will at me, I'm sure. But they seem to do everything right. And, oh, by the way, now they're getting into markets that they haven't been in before. So banks are are still a trade here, Mel, for sure.
2: Have a ball, Dan. Go at Guy. Okay. All right. We don't hear Dan. He's still in purgatory. I'm dying to know what he's saying. If I could read lips, Guy, I would convey the message. I don't know if it's anything positive. Um, but Jeff, Jeff Mills, if you were to go deeper, because we saw some pretty big moves, not just in the strict finance. I mean, Guy was mentioning Blackstone, not in the, in the financials like the Morgan Stanley and the city, that the money sort of center banks, but also in credit cards like an American Express, which is highly levered to that reopening and specifically business travel and, and specifically travel.
5: Yeah. I mean, I I like AXP. I would rather be in the banks here just because I feel like they've traded sideways for a little bit longer. They've undergone a little bit more pain. You've only started to see American Express rollover recently. Nonetheless, you have seen a little bit of a pullback. And, And I do think that this sort of peaking Delta narrative is going to continue to develop. And I think that that could actually develop into a tailwind for consumer confidence and a tailwind for investor confidence in moving back into cyclicality. So you think about AXP, levered to business travel, people going to restaurants, just the economy reopening up again. Um, I think you could have a tailwind in names like that as well.
2: All right. Let's get back to the White House here. We have been uh, watching the nation's top CEOs leaving the White House. We've been trying to listen to them as well, not as successfully, though. Um, That summit has wrapped up. Eamon Javers is the very latest. Eamon, what happened?
6: Yeah, you've been seeing all the big guys there leaving all at the same time. We're told uh, by our very active producer on the scene, MC Wellens, who you just saw getting some of her steps in for the day there, chasing those CEOs that Tim Cook has not left. So we're going to keep an eye on that to see if we can... Hear from him uh, when he comes out of the meeting to see what he says uh, about all this. But uh, clearly, some of those CEOs uh, not too anxious to talk to the press on their way out the door. Uh, What we are seeing now is some uh, citations in the media, particularly Reuters, of some of the commitments now from some of these companies. Reuters is reporting that Microsoft is saying it's going to invest. $20 billion over the course of five years, uh, a fourfold increase, Reuters says, from its current rate to speed up cybersecurity rates. Meantime, uh, we're also going to see Microsoft making available $150 million in technical services to help federal, state, and local governments to help keep their security systems up to date. So Microsoft uh, out with some news per Reuters uh, at this hour, uh, talking about what it's going to do on cybersecurity. I think you can expect over the course of the remainder of this hour to see a bunch of these Other companies also come out with statements of their own, what they're going to do, the so called deliverables from this meeting. And and we'll see if any of it makes any difference, Melissa. I mean, the hackers have been really successful over the past year. Uh, The cybersecurity problem in this country does not seem like it's going away anytime soon. White House meeting or no White House meeting. And the problem that you've got right now is that corporate America has pumped so much money and so many financial resources toward these hackers in the form of ransom payments that the hackers are now using that money to finance even more sophisticated technology for themselves than they had before. So you've now got hacking groups, I'm told, who have sort of nation state level technology and capabilities and, and sometimes veterans of nation state level intelligence agencies working for them. So uh, that creates a very tricky picture. These CEOs who are at the White House today are up against a very significant challenge here, Melissa. Um,
2: I think every penny spent on cyber is a good thing, aiming in preventing another uh, attack. At the same time, I mean, this this pledge by Microsoft is, I don't know, maybe not surprising considering the number of hacks it's been involved in in just the past few months.
6: Sure. And one of the questions when you talk about a White House meeting like this and the companies announce these deliverables, this is a a sort of a standard ritual that we see between corporate America and the White House. The the question that you always have is how much of this is new stuff that these companies are now doing as a result of this White House meeting, and how much is uh, is the company sort of packaging things that they were already working on as a deliverable from a meeting. And and, you know that's sometimes an unknowable thing. um, But you know people who've been inside corporate lobbying offices in Washington will tell you it's not unheard of for a company to package things that it was already working on and say, "Hey, this is a new deliverable for the president today." So uh, but watch for those over the coming, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, because I think we're going to get some more announcements.
2: All right. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers uh, about the cybersecurity summit held at the White House. Uh, Tim Seymour, we've been talking about cyber stocks for a while now, past couple of yeah. days, in fact, because of the runs they've been having. Do you think that this moves the needle in terms of corporate America pledging all sorts of dollars to beefing up efforts?
4: Well, I think it does. You, you know, you're highlighting the fact some of these initiatives have already been announced or are part of broader dynamics. But you know, clearly, uh, I'm guessing what went on today is a CYA versus, you know, uh, via your CTO. Um, One of the problems with a lot of these companies is there are multiple C-suite functions that aren't really communicating as it relates to uh, hacking, but but through the CTO and and in terms of cybersecurity, um, my guess is there's a lot of synthesis that needs to go on, and as much of this is organizational approach uh, as it is actually bringing on technology. But having said that, one of the points that we've made around the strength of these stocks is pricing power. Uh, In addition to order book and recurring revenue streams and subscription services and the things that are multiple enhancers for so many other parts of the software space, the security space, but as we talk about other tech companies. So uh, that's why this is such a sexy place to be investing. And, And that's why, again, I think corporate America has only really just begun. I think a lot of that, though, is about reassessing internal controls and getting these different groups and these silos to speak to each other because the CTO has just been a place on the org chart. It hasn't necessarily been really a, a synthesized process.
2: Yeah. Uh, Dan Nathan has his mic powers back. Dan.
7: <laughs> Hi. Um, Well, here's the deal. Apple and Microsoft, two of the largest companies on the planet, right? Nearly $5 trillion in market cap. They have over $300 billion in cash on their collective balance sheets here. They can fix these problems if they want to fix them. They want to be serious about it. They run a lot of ads. They they spend a lot of money uh, via Madison Avenue and, and social channels talking about their commitment to these issues. But if they really want to fix them, they can fix them. They have plenty of cash to do so.
2: All right. Coming up, we are all over the after hours moves. In Salesforce, the call kicked off at the top of the hour. We're listening in. We'll bring you all the details. Plus, Kathy Wood betting big on DraftKings. So should you go all in on this trade? And later, a million-dollar bet against AMC, what we spotted in the options market today that could send the apes bananas. The details and fast money returns.
6: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
2: Welcome back. We've got an earnings alert on Salesforce. That stock is rising in the after-hour session. The company's earnings call kicked off at the top of the hour. Let's get to Julia Borson with the details. Hi, Julia.
0: Well, Melissa, that's right. Salesforce shares up about two percent. Mark Benioff saying that the company has never seen better execution or momentum. Quarterly revenue growing twenty-three percent. That's faster than analysts expected earnings soared past expectations and guidance for top and bottom line results in the third quarter and the first full year, also surpassing analyst projections. Now, Benioff saying in the release, quote, our customer 360 platform is now fueled by a herd of unicorns perfectly designed for this all digital world. Sales, service, marketing, and commerce platform, Tableau, MuleSoft, and now Slack are all billion-dollar-plus products delivering customer success like no other company. Now, with particular attention to Slack, that deal closed just last month. The company's president and CFO saying that they are excited to build on Slack's momentum. The conference call, which did kick off about 20 minutes ago, opening up by Benioff, saying that they will be talking a lot more about the innovation they're seeing with Slack and also about the incredible results of their success from anywhere approach to work and their vision for the company. Now, there was a technical issue on the call. It seems like Mark Benioff was lost, but the call is back up and running, though Benioff is not speaking right now. Melissa?
2: All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson, be sure to catch Kramer's exclusive interview with the Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Dan, you've been uh, diving into these earnings.
7: Yeah, I love that um, that herd of unicorns, you know, perfectly equipped for this thing. These are multi or they're all billion dollar plus revenue companies. And I'll just say this when I look at the out year, I look at fiscal 2023. I suspect that current consensus at 19% year over year sales growth is probably low right here. So if you saw a reacceleration, I think this year is expected to be 22% um, somewhere above where we are this year at seven, eight times sales next year. This is probably a cheap stock. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but you put all those businesses together and you look at the accelerations that we've seen over the last year and a half to two years and where CRM plays, I think this thing works pretty well. And one of the reasons why we highlighted it last week and last night, I think all of us, the whole panel were like, this thing's going to work from here on out because it's underperformed many of its peers. So this Slack acquisition should be a nice catalyst here. I like it here.
2: Yeah, let's get more reaction to this quarter here for Salesforce. Joining us now is Jeffrey's tech sector specialist, Jared Weissfeld, Jared, great to have you with us. Um, it, it sounds, it looks like, at least at first blush, that it looks like a, a pretty good quarter, in, and you were looking for margins. There's upside there. So, what did you make of this whole thing?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Melissa, and I, I think Dan hit hit all the right points. I mean, heading into the print. We were looking for better top line momentum as well as better operating margin performance. And that's exactly what we got. 6.34 billion in revenue, way ahead of the street at 6.22 billion. The, arguably the most important metric is something called CRPO, which stands for current remaining performance obligations. That's a good real time indicator of the health of the business. That was up 23% of the year on year ahead of guidance at 20% year on year. And they had a tough comp uh, from the year ago quarter as well. So that was quite strong. And I think the, 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 the absolute star of the show here was operating margins at 20.4%, which is about 200 basis points ahead of the street. And in line with what Dan was just talking about, you look at year-to-date, the stock's up 17%, but on a relative basis, you look at that against the broader software ETF, the IGV, it's actually sitting on one-year lows. And that's because you've had concerns on Slack integration and operating margin expansion, or lack thereof, really pressuring the stock. So the fact that you, you were able to get the operating margin expansion, and Amy, the new CFO, came in and delivered another. 50 basis points of operating margin expansion for the full year raise as well for the next fiscal year, you know, the the stock certainly screens cheap relative uh, to its peers, about a 40% discount relative to large cap peers.
4: Hey, Jared, it's Tim. And, and part of that is that rocket ship of a number they reported a year ago that set the, you know, the performance bar very high. But you, you talked also about uh, the Slack integration and, and where ultimately this leaves CRM versus taking on Microsoft. Can you talk about that? Because, again, we, we led the show talking about not only software, but cyber and where some of the bigger guys are better positioned to spend here. Um, talk about Salesforce versus Microsoft.
1: It's it's such an important point, Tim. When you, when you think about where Benioff is driving the future of this company and you think about just collaboration as a whole, right? I mean, work from home is not going anywhere anytime soon. It really is work from anywhere. You've seen multiple companies in Silicon Valley endorse employees working from their home office for on a permanent basis go forward. And I think the ability to have collaboration as part of Benioff's toolkit is so critical. And when you mentioned Microsoft as a competitor, I think we've talked about this before. You know, Satya Nadella, part of his compensation package, is actually derived based on Microsoft Teams users. So that is that is where Microsoft is driving this business. That is where Benioff is driving this business. And now that he's got... On this underneath the umbrella combines with Tableau, combined with MuleSoft, combined with all of the original Salesforce engines. It really gives him the go-to-market that's able to go ahead and take on Microsoft. And, you know, I, I think, it's, I think when, when all said and done, it's going to turn out to be a, a pretty smart acquisition. You think about the integration capabilities that he's able to deliver, especially in the context of, uh, of work from anywhere, and those trends don't seem to be abated.
2: Uh, this is the first quarter inclusive of Slack Jared. and, and you went through the laundry list of, of the notable acquisitions Salesforce has made in its recent history. and I'm wondering how much more leverage there is to be had from these acquisitions that have not been extracted yet.
1: So I, I think you know you' you've seen tremendous um, momentum in their organization. You know, when you start looking T plus one, T plus two, T plus three quarters after you plug the entire sales force in and you reframe the sales force on, on on the cross and upselling motions across the board. And, and Slack is really going to go ahead and provide that opportunity when you think about the ability for them to penetrate that uh, that TAM, that total addressable market. So, you know, I think they've made tremendous strides with MuleSoft, tremendous strides with uh, with Tableau. You know, those are probably in the later innings with respect to those integrations for sure. Uh, and I think all hands on deck are now with respect to Slack and, and how um, CRM can take on uh, can take on uh, Microsoft uh, on, on the day to day. When you think about the ability to uh, to integrate that collaboration tool as part of the, the Salesforce suite, so I still think plenty of runway to go with respect to uh, with, with with respect to Slack. We're still in very much early days.
2: Jared, great to see you. Thank you, Jared Weisfeld you so of Jeffries. Um, Guy, your topic in software.
3: Well, I mean, I know you're not an Oracle fan there, Melms, but I still think very quietly they're sort of catching up to the rest of the world and it's manifesting itself in the stock price. But in terms of Salesforce, quickly, kudos to Dan, number one. I'll say again, I think the stock trades up to 285, which was the high this time last year, and I think you take profits there. You get a close above 290, we'll have another conversation. You can wrap your arms around this valuation, given the growth, and I think the stock continues to trend higher.
2: By the way, I'm agnostic when it comes to any individual shares <laughs> is, or sectors, for that matter another.
3: Can I ask you exactly. can I ask you a quick question by the way, because that's Go what ahead. we do on the show. Why not? Doesn't 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 isn't a unicorn isn't the scarcity factor of a unicorn what makes it special? So therefore I've heard of unicorns. Stops being special. Isn't that, th- th- or does my mind not work correctly? I'm just throwing it out there maybe, to the maybe, fast money maybe audience. Maybe Jim
2: will point that out to Mark Benioff tonight when he speaks to him on Mad Money at the top of the hour. But, Jeff, quickly That's to bring important. it nice. back to actual stocks and how people feel about them, your top pick in software.
5: Well, look, I, I'm going to go with CRM here. It, it's a name that I've been following for some time. And, and I just think in this brave new world that we're in, what they do becomes increasingly useful. And I know we keep talking about the Slack acquisition, but it is going to be incredibly important. And it's not just about communicating within a company, but it's about communicating between companies and disrupting email. And, and that, that can be very, very powerful. And I think I've seen estimates right now that they're only servicing 20% of the total worldwide market, estimates of $175 billion by 2025. That is a big market, so they still have room to grow, uh, even if you consider the current valuation a little bit stretched.
2: Yeah, stocks up almost 3% after hours at this point. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
1: Kathy Wood rolling the dice on a gambling stock. The ARK Invest founder betting big on DraftKings. So is this a jackpot stock? Plus. Tim is stepping up to the mound and getting ready to throw some heat for his fast pitch. And this one could be a total home run investment. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
9: Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work.
2: Impending deadline?
9: Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So Brainstorm
6: got too big. Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. click, click, click,
2: click. Rider's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at Canva.com.
9: Designed for work.
2: Canva. Yes. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of DraftKings rallying today as Ark Invest Kathy Wood loads up. Wood buying another. A million shares of DraftKings during yesterday's session. The sports betting stock now makes up more than 2.5% of the ARC Innovation ETF. But that fund has been struggling of late. Check out the moves off 52 week highs for the fund's top holdings Tesla down 21%, Teladoc down 53%, Roku down 28%, Coinbase down 40%, Unity down 29% from its recent high. So are any of these beaten down names worth a second? look, or, or maybe it's just not the right market environment for an ETF like Kathy Woods. Uh, Dan, what do you think?
7: Well, it's the right environment because we're seeing all sorts of, of flows into um, the really innovative tech. We're seeing a lot of it in the in the private markets too. And I think Kathy's time horizon, from what I can understand from recent interviews, and she's been on this show playing, She she doesn't have a time. It's not a fast money time horizon, right? So that I think that's the really difficult part about it. And when you think about what her vision is for a company like Tesla, you know. In and around six, seven hundred dollars. She's talking thousands of dollars of price targets, right? So you're going to have to deal with that volatility. I guess the thing that I I struggle with this is that you know she's probably got the wrong vehicle. Every morning I wake up and I see headlines in the press. Kathy Wood sold a million shares of this or that or whatever. That's just because of her rebalancing. So I, I suspect that she should be really running a hedge fund. Kathy, take the two and twenty and take uh, the money that's <laughs> kind of with you for a long-term time horizon and not have to deal with this mark-to-market on a day-to-day basis
2: yeah Jeff
5: yeah well to go back to your question about is this the time I I think Dan hit the nail on the head in terms of time horizon but if we're thinking about shorter term and we all think rates are going higher we're all talking about banks how we like that trade uh, probably not great for some of these longer duration stocks longer dated future cash flows that's where you are going to see the growth so I think it could continue to struggle here but we all have to remember where these stocks came from their performance last year And again, that that time horizon. So when I think about a stock like DraftKings, I know I'm becoming a little bit of a broken record there, but I think we're in the early innings of all of this in terms of the technology, the way sports is going to be consumed through that betting lens, the legalization. These are all the key trends. And it's not going to happen today, tomorrow, next week, next quarter, maybe even next year. But over time, these are things that are going to play out. And we're seeing it with DraftKings. We're seeing it with Penn. It's this land grab to try to buy companies, get market share, uh, because they know the growth is going to be there. So I think a stock like DraftKings is going to continue to be a big player in that space. I think we might be getting to the point now where it can break above above 60 and stay there. So these are long-term plays. No. Do I think right now is a great time for these sorts of companies? No. But if you have the right time horizon, then I think there is a lot of growth in a lot of these names.
2: You know, it's an interesting point that Dan makes in terms of it not being a fast money sort of investment vehicle. But at the same time, it sort of came of age, became a household (laughs) word. Um, Kathy would gain rock star status because of the quick rise in a lot of these stocks, thanks to the Reddit crowd, which saw this as fast money. I mean, we're talking about the run, you know, for Tesla um, through its Bitcoin acquisition guy. I mean, these are all names that we were talking about because they had incredible runs alongside ARK Invest.
3: Which, if you asked her, I'm sure that probably upset her. I mean, that sounds somewhat counterintuitive. But to Dan's point, she's not in it for the next 30 minutes. I mean, my sense is she's in most of these things for the next five to 10 years. We've had conversations with her about Tesla and some of the points Dan made about her rebalancing. So I'm sure, to a certain extent, those moves mortified her. My words, probably not hers. With that said, you have a fascinating sort of push-me-pull-you right now with Kathy, on one side, Michael Burry, who, by the way, very brilliant investor, admittedly early on a lot of things, obviously making bets against the ARK ETF. So a lot of things going on here. I am with Jeff Mills on this one. I think DraftKings, if you have a horizon of more than, you know, the next six minutes, I think DraftKings is really interesting at these levels.
2: Tim, just quickly, we had a slate of the top holdings in ARK Invest all have, you know, significant percentages off their 52-week highs. Any of them you would scoop up?
4: Well, one that's interesting to me that I've owned in much bigger size, still hold it, and and actually like the chart is Square. Um, You know, you've actually consolidated, you know, 220 to 265. Uh, but the story around the Cash App is extraordinary. We've, we've talked about the different elements of where uh, basically Jack Dorsey has tied people onto this platform, and this is a platform that is executing and giving access and leapfrogging technology and moving around the world and doing it. So there's loyalty on the consumer side. There's enormous loyalty on the business side, and, and this is a fintech play that we also think is is showing the way of many, you know, the money center banks that may need to follow. So I like Square here, and, and uh, I think the longer-term story there is, again, they are going to be involved in secular trends and and they've proven that they may be early and they're usually right.
2: All right. Coming up, we're all over the after hours action shares of Williams-Sonoma. That stock is sharply higher on earnings. We're starting to get some headlines from the call. We'll bring them to you straight ahead. But first, our own Tim Seymour is taking the mound for a fast pitch. He says this stock is a total home run. We'll bring you the name when Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. This mystery software stock is up nearly 8% in a week, up 33% this year, and just broke out above a major resistance level. It's also Tim Seymour's best idea. He's stepping up to the mount to deliver a fast pitch. Tim, take it away.
4: Thanks, Mel. So again, a proud franchise, like some of its other uh, mega cap tech companies of yesteryear, Cisco, uh, I think, is moving in the direction of transformation of their business, as we've talked about Microsoft and others. What's happening here, this is a recurring revenue software story, higher multiple story, and it's happening. It's happening across some of their software segments. Uh, these recurring uh, or uh, obligations and payment obligations are about 30 billion of their overall sales process and another you know 53 percent of those will be recurring purchases over the next 12 months if we just listen to their earnings we heard a little bit of margin pressure but ultimately some of that is transitory some of that is supply disruption that's not a long-term dynamic for them meanwhile The sense we got is that their core business around enterprise is strong. It's actually getting stronger. And off of a very, very easy comp of a year ago, you're up about 30% on enterprise spending. And I think it's something that's going to continue. Finally, with this company, with what we talked about in this transformation and and a move towards recurring revenue and software, what's the multiple you put on Cisco? It's not yesterday's multiple. Uh, It's not a 16, 17 times. At 17 times what they're going to earn in 2022 to 23, if you take kind of a hybrid multiple, excuse me, a hybrid uh, EPS, it's somewhere around a $62 stock on a 17 multiple. You put a $20 stock on it uh, because, you know, at least uh, one third of that could be software revenue where you should be putting a 25 to 30 times multiple on it. We just talked about Salesforce. We just talked about others. The multiple there's a lot higher. So the question is, as always, and I love this with these big mega cap names, and whether it's been a Disney, whether it's been a GM, or even a Walmart, this is a case of a company that should be re-rating out of its former base, and we've seen them do it, we've seen the security and software, it's been a theme all week, and it's been a name we've mentioned along with Cisco. Finally, that chart, Uh, look, on a two-year, you see a breakout, you see a company that in the last uh, even month and since those earnings, reaffirmation is taking this thing higher and breaking out to near all-time highs, above 59, you're there, and it's off to the races
2: jeff has a question
4: yes sir general hey,
5: tim so my question was yes the, my question was going to be on the multiple the, you know the stock kind of struggled at 17 times forward in the past you, you hit on that pretty clearly so we'll move on um, thinking about a little bit in terms of positioning uh technology along with rising rates do you feel like a stock like this is better positioned for a world where we do believe the tenure is rising versus the tech sector more broadly, some of these longer duration names, as we mentioned.
4: I I think Cisco fits nicely. You know, frankly, in the middle of that, I, I think the the cyclical exposure to enterprise is part of what should have Cisco moving here um, in a world where I think we have slower growth but we have exposure to software and services and recurring revenue streams. This is a stock that should actually be treating very defensively along with higher multiple tech. so I think it's a bit of a stock for all seasons, and I think it's one of the reasons why it's it's breaking out here. We've had affirmation of the new business lines. we see that the legacy business is actually quite strong here, and the cyclicality overall for the economy should help. Cisco.
2: All right, no more questions. It is time to vote. Are you buying Tim's pitch on Cisco, Guy? What do you say? What do you say?
3: Let me uh, let me get my smartboard. Okay. Mel, will you, can you I can read, read this for the audience, it. please? It says, but please help me out.
2: Jimmy Smits with two underlines. Jimmy
3: Smits. and a lot of you folks are like, <laughs> what? You yeah, know, Jimmy Smiths. As most of you know, and I know you know this, Mel. Jimmy Smits played the Cisco Kid in 1994. Tim has surpassed that. By the way, Jimmy is a big fan. I will tell you this. I thought when they reported on the 18th that stock had put in a huge double top would trade in the mid-40s. I was wrong. Who am I to cast aspersions with Tim's power pitch? Well done, Ambassador.
2: Your mind works in mysterious ways. Dan Nathan, what do you say?
3: Yeah, you know, we've heard a lot about the the
7: breadth in the NASDAQ that's been weakening and it's been very concentrated from a handful of names. I think this breakout and to Tim's point makes a lot of sense. I'm a buyer here. Um, you know, listen, might this thing come in a little bit, consolidate a little bit. If you get a raging NASDAQ into Q3 or end at Q3, this thing's going to participate. You probably see this near 70.
2: All right, Jeff, you want to round it out? What's your vote?
5: Yeah, look, I, I agree with everyone else. I think we're, we're heading into a better IT spending environment. The breakout's clear. I think we did a trade it or faded on this a couple of months ago. I did want to trade it, so I'm sticking with that.
2: All right, clean sweep here. Um, but it is now your turn. You at home, your turn to vote. Are you buying Tim's fast pitch on Cisco? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results later in the show. And coming up, William Sonoma on the move after reporting earnings up a whopping 11.5%. We're digging into the details in Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. we got another earnings alert for you, this time on Williams-Sonoma. That stock is up almost 12% in the after hours. Let's get to Christina Parts Nevelis with the latest. Christina.
8: Well, we got sales increasing over 30% in this latest quarter, but the company could continue to face some headwinds into the next quarter. On the call that's happening right now, the company is still dealing with supply chain issues. Their inventory levels are, quote, not at the levels we had expected at this time. Keep in mind, the company shifted furniture manufacturing to Vietnam and Indonesia back in 2019 due to tariffs on Chinese goods. And so the CEO just said today on the call that the industry-wide there's container shortages coming out of Asia, and there's also a recent port closure in China. So it's making it harder for them to predict when supply chain issues will be resolved. The CEO did say they are raising their full year 2021 revenue to the high teens to low 20s and are increasing their dividend by about 20 percent and authorizing a $1.25 billion stock repurchasing plan. And the home goods retailer did see double digit growth across several brands, for example, even just West Elm on your screen right there is up 51%, which shows Americans are still upgrading their homes, hybrid offices, and maybe, just maybe, haven't given up making a, that sourdough bread, which I know maybe Guy Adami does in his spare time.
2: He might. Um, I know for a fact that Tim Seymour uh, enjoys a loaf of sourdough just like anybody else does. Does uh, he make Seymour? it, though? That's the big question. Oh. I, I believe that he does. Yeah. He might even have <laughs> his own um, yeast starter. Oh, wow. Um, We'll ask about that. Christina, thanks, Christina Parts Nevelis. I'll go to you, Tim. I mean, all these supply chain issues, we know the cost of containers have gone up like 200% year on year. Vietnam in particular has a very difficult problem because they have a very low vaccination rate in that country. It's in the single-digit percentages, I believe. So to move their manufacturing there right now is a little problematic. But all that does not matter at this point for this digital-first company.
4: Well, gross. you know, margins and comps were certainly something we wanted to hear. And, and so there continues to be some pressure there. By the way, on sourdough bread, look, like, who doesn't love sourdough bread? Um, I'm not cooking it in the kind of oven we've often talked about uh, that William Sonoma's been famous for. But we'll leave that for another show. Uh, the key to this stock is is the valuation that is now... Uh, more, in, It's it's less expensive. It's cheaper than it was pre-COVID with, with the trends that we have alive that are not falling off the table anytime soon. So um, I think you get long this stock. I think you buy any weakness on the back of what I think are not structural issues. Uh, I think they are dynamics that are fleeting. Um, maybe it's going to take longer, um, but ultimately these supply chain issues will be solved.
2: A dividend increase of 20 percent, Jeff Mills. That is confidence that this is not just a, a pandemic phenomenon, the growth.
5: Yeah, it sure is. And we own the stock. We have for some time, and I'm glad we do. What I'm not so happy about is that we did trim it a little bit into strength on the way up. Right around these levels where it closed today, and obviously you're seeing a move to the upside in, in the after hours. But look, ultimately, I think that was prudent portfolio management, and that's fine. Because I think looking out you know, over a year, two years, you saw this COVID bump in revenue. You saw this step-up function in margins. Ultimately, promotions are going to come back. Revenue growth is going to revert back to trend I think margins are going to revert back to trend uh, I still think it's a, a good long-term hold and, and we're still going to continue to have a position there uh, we like their digital first model as you said but I think for the moment a lot of this good, good news might be priced
3: in
2: guy you have a Cheshire cat grin on your face so go go
3: I, I am I've been known to uh, bake a loaf of sourdough bread from time to time number one Number two, oddly enough, Williams-Sonoma comps were lower, so maybe people are not as enthralled by the Dutch oven as they were a few, four or five months yeah. ago. Number two. Number three, yeah. uh, the inventory is concerning, yeah. only up 12% against 30% sales growth. However, what trumps it all is the fact that a $1.2 billion buyback, whatever they announced, is significant when you're talking about a company with a market cap of about $11, $12 billion. I... I We've said it for a while. You stay with this name. Tim is right. It's probably cheaper now than it was before. I think WSM above 195 and you're talking about a stock that could easily get to $250.
2: Coming up, roll the credits. AMC having a blockbuster week, but options traders are betting big that this one is about to flop. We've got the trade next, and there's still time to weigh in on Tim's fast pitch on Cisco. CSCO. That one. Go vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Fast Money's back in two.
1: Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of AMC falling into the red after the close after yesterday's eye-popping 20% gain. One option trader is betting a million dollars that today's move means this big breakout is about to go bust. Tony Zhang is here to break down the action. Tony, what would you see?
9: Yeah, so AMC on the back of yesterday's 20% move. We saw one very large bet against that. AMC traded fairly actively here today about 1.4 million contracts traded which is just shy of two times the average daily volume and the trade that we that stood out here was a thousand contracts of the October $45 puts Purchased for $12.24. Now, what's interesting about this particular trade is the fact that this is an at the money put. And to put into context, $12.24 on a $45 stock is 27% of the stock's value. That's a lot to pay, an extrinsic value that's all gonna decay away if AMC does not accelerate to the downside. So, this is betting a million dollars that AMC is going to give back all of yesterday's gains and more by the next month and a half or so before the October expiration.
2: The size of this trade, Tony, does this indicate to you at least, and I know it's impossible to know that this is not a retail trader?
9: I certainly think a million dollars in premium certainly would say that this is not a retail trader. Yes, because that would be all at risk if this trade doesn't work out.
2: All right, Tony, thank you. Tony Zhang. Um, I ask that obviously because uh, retail traders have been very active in the options market, but they tend to be smaller in smaller size and, and lower volumes. Um, Dan, how would you interpret this action? I'm just curious.
7: Yeah, I'm just looking at it. it looks like it's a roll. It looks like they rolled out of the September 45's into the Octobers. And I still look at the call volume versus the put volume. The top 10 most active options were all calls. They're still and there were two and a half times that um, of puts today. So that was clearly an institution um, rolling out of SEP, giving themselves a little more time here. Uh, but it looks like retail is still all over the calls, Mel.
2: Yeah, and, and judging by Twitter activity, they still definitely are standing by this one, which may be surprising, Jeff Mills. I mean, a lot of people threw a lot of water all over this movement saying, you know what, these retail guys, they don't know what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera, dumb money, whatever you want to call them, they are still there in the stock.
5: They are, and I continue to be surprised that the price stays where it does, and, and everybody knows what I'm about to say, but given all of the activity and how many retail traders are in the stock, it probably bears repeating is that, look, whether you're talking about GameStop, AMC, these are stocks that can go up 50%, down 50%. Uh, it's, it's very clear, and I think just, just knowing the game you're playing is really important, and be careful. That's all.
2: all right. For more options action, be sure to tune into to the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Just a few more minutes left uh, in our vote for our Twitter poll at CBC Fast Money. Are you buying Tim's Fast Pitch on Cisco Systems? The results and your final trades are next. Tim should play the lottery. A clean sweep on the panel here and also at home. 51% are voting with Tim on Cisco. 51% of viewers. Time for the final trade. Tim, what do you say?
4: So where, where else would I go? I'll stay with Cisco.
2: <laughs> Jeff Mills.
4: DraftKings, I'll keep
5: making the case, embrace the volatility, but I think the stock goes higher.
2: Dan Nathan.
7: Yeah, old school tech, Intel for a bounce.
2: Guy Adami. Warm
3: sourdough buttered, nothing better.
2: Uh, Fire
3: eye, Melissa Lee, F-E-Y-E.
2: I forgot about the sourdough conversation. Thanks for watching Fast Money. You'll see it tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.